welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Elizabeth Muller. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, one of our own GradCast editorial board members is on the show. And so we're going to hear a little bit about that. Welcome to GradCast officially to your own interview, Anam Anjam. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're really excited that you're here. Could you tell us, just to start off, what you are doing here at Western? Yeah, so I'm in a one-year Master's of Science program. It's a course-based program, and it started in May, so I'm pretty new to the London campus. And it is block courses. Every month there's a new course, and I get three rotations. So one's a community, there's a basic science, and there's a clinical rotation. So next April I'll be done. That's really exciting. Can you tell me a little bit more about these block courses and what they entail? Yes. So I've done two block courses completely, and I'm in my third one right now. Um, My first one was about science communication in the 21st century, and that was really nice just because I got to learn, like, so much about how science has changed over the the past few decades. And um, now... I just finished in July the course of academic integrity. So my current course is about health policy and my professor is actually a director in Health Canada. So she is like teaching us from Ottawa and it's pretty great, Um, but it's really exciting. All of our presentations and debates and our assignments are in groups. So we get to learn a lot about other people and my class is only 30 people. So we know a lot about each other already. So it's pretty great. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I don't know a lot about course-based master's projects. I'm more on like the research side, so I'm excited to get into this and see what what these courses are about. But why don't we start with the first one, so communicating science. This is something that we at GradCast kind of do. Like we fall into this like science communication, research communication category. Why don't you tell us more about that class? Yeah, um, you know what's actually really interesting? One of our our assignments was to do a podcast and we were interviewing our professor who Mm -hmm. is Dr. Adrian Owen. He um, works at at Western and he's like a really famous, well, world-renowned like neuroscientist. So that was really cool to actually go and interview him as somebody that was already teaching us. Mm -hmm. But this entire course is about learning how like learning how to um, put such complex scientific terms and um, theories within for like average like the average Joe like that's literally it they would always tell us like okay make it so a person grade eight can understand Mm -hmm. and you have to then we had an assignment to do it for someone in grade 12 do it for someone in grade eight do it for someone in grade five and you have to just make it in layman terms and so everyone can understand and it's quite difficult to do that yeah but it was a lot of fun (laughs) so it was okay but that's both all of our the entire course is just learning how to make things simpler um, because we learn it in such a specific realm and so scientific and Mm -hmm. yeah it was a great course And then you mentioned one about community. Can you tell us a little bit about what that course looks like and how it might be useful when you're when you're done your studies? Yeah, so that's a rotation. So I get three. There's three rotations and one's a community rotation. Um, And this is so interesting because today is the day I found out about my group for my capstone and my rotations. And I'm going to be in the cardiovascular group. So that's going to be really that was my top choice. I'm really happy about that. so the community rotation for that is probably going to be with something that is like a organization within London that works towards like blood or something related to like heart related anything. Um, we don't know yet 
what that's going to entail exactly. But that's our community rotation. Um, and it's going to be about, like, I think six weeks. And we're going to work with them and help that organization run their mission and there's a four people in my group, so we're all going to work together to help that organization. So, yeah. And so, you know, with, with this kind of a master's degree, would people be going right into clinical work? Would they be applying to medical school? What are the typical career paths of somebody in this in this program? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like that comes up so much. Um, so every Friday, we actually have somebody come in and tell us about a career that we could do that isn't like professional schools, such as like med school or dental school. Mm-hmm. Um, but this program is made for people that want to pursue med school and dental school and they would need like a year of like figuring out exactly how they could do that getting more experience under their belt um i going into this program kind of yes i've always wanted to be in healthcare, so i knew that but it is this program is mostly for people that want to go into healthcare, want to go into like clinical work um some people still want to do research but it's not something that is like the main the majority of people don't want to do research i guess that's just how it is um (laughs) but majority wanted to do like professional schools yeah yeah okay that's that's really cool so i like how we've got kind of like a broad overview of your of your course so now i think it would be really cool to get into some more of the details of the courses that you've just looked at uh so okay going back to communicating in science because that is one passion of mine is science communication as you can see uh, by this podcast but can you talk to us about what your course taught you in how it's changed in recent years, especially perhaps after COVID. And yeah. so we don't need to talk about COVID uh, particularly because mm-hmm. I think we, we talk about COVID a lot. But what can you tell us about how science communication has changed or maybe the trust between the yeah. community and the scientific communication yes. or the science community? How does that <laughs> connect? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it also came up a lot in the sense that we were talking about social media mm-hmm. and like how that was just like everybody as soon as COVID happened is like going on Twitter and saying their thoughts on what the vaccine vaccine is and like how every research related to the vaccine has been done and I a lot of this course was telling us like oh take things with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. but like do your own research like if something's posted on social media like don't just trust it and like figure out where did they get their um, research from so in recent years social media has been like the biggest thing and we Mm -hmm. were after every class we were supposed to make like a tweet and about what we learned and that was just so we can be people that can cater to the new generation on how we if we wanted to be on social media we would know how to is that like a tweet on your own personal twitter or is oh it we like, don't actually have to like, tweet it okay okay <laughs> yeah um, so it's like an assignment little tweet yes. thing okay we could if we uh wanted to and in past years um this this program's only th- this is the third year mm-hmm. so um two years ago so people did post it on their twitter and like it was a thing but not not many people post it anymore um, but it was a good way to understand how we can incorporate like social media and we, how we can have academic integrity while relaying like scientific information for like um, in layman terms. Um, so that was in I guess that's pretty much it. Like we didn't learn too much about like the past two, three years since COVID, mm-hmm. but we did learn how we can cater to the audience that is the majority of people, which is this new generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really interesting. How would you know? How would you say your own understanding of how to evaluate research, uh, specifically things posted on social media, has changed after taking this course? And are you looking at things differently now that you've taken this course? Yes, for sure. I think there's a lot of scientists that um, are on social media and 
right off the bat, you might trust somebody because they have a degree like next to their name. Like it says like a PhD right there and you think, okay, well, this person knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But you never know like, oh, where is their funding coming from? And they're doing something related to the environment, but this is funded by some sort of chemical company. And the research is very like catered towards a certain narrative. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like I learned how to like understand where people's... um, motivations come from and to take things with the grain of salt that not all research is transparent Mm -hmm. and open for everybody Mm -hmm. to just like it's it's sad to say but like this everything on social media is obviously not Mm -hmm. true um and people believe it if they don't know how to go and like dig dig deep and figure out if this is true or not so i've i realized how to figure out if things can be if things are open if this is transparent if this is like real research so yeah. yeah You make a really good point about uh, understanding where people's funding is coming from, right? Because that can introduce a huge conflict of interest. And that's not usually something that gets revealed in a tweet. Yes. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Because tweets are small and (laughs) short and they just say something. Whereas if you go to that person's entire published paper, they will have to have that in there. Like you have to say where your funding sources are. But that's not something that gets translated to one simple tweet. It doesn't. No. And it seems like people will (laughs) sometimes trust other people's personal stories more than they will the research and that comes out a lot in social media like I have friends for example who will say oh well this thing happened to my friend so that must be what it is or say something with related to eating like oh I heard that if you eat one orange every single day you'll never get cancer because my friend ate oranges (laughs) and lived to be 94 and never got cancer and so we're more willing to trust other people's experiences sometimes more than scientific literature because it seems like cold Mm -hmm. right is there a way to bring like personality to your tweets or personality to make you seem more trusting did they get into that at all this came up a lot because i think everyone made their first tweet and we were all told to make it more personal because Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna relate to you and nobody would want to keep reading your tweets if you're just somebody stating facts so actually like it's hard to just be funny and it's hard to like cater to all the audience like all the audiences but Um, having some sort of relatability to the people you want to reach out to is so important Um, especially like if you're trying to reach out to someone that's within science that's not that hard because you're talking about science that's okay like that's already one thing that's a connection but if you're trying to talk about something that's so not related to like if you want to talk to kids but it's going to be about oh what video games they should play and what Mm -hmm. can affect them in their future you can't just tell them oh don't play the video game so something about having to cater to like what their interests are and like do it in a way that they're not going to be completely like avoiding your content it's so that's like what we learn and it's like important to know how to be relatable but Mm -hmm. it's also such a difficult skill to learn so yeah that came up a lot so that's a wild wow dr adrian owen would love you (laughs) (laughs) well i think i'd love him too because i've actually read his book into the gray zone and so it's kind of cool to talk to like one of his we actually had to learn we we read that before he came on so we had like two weeks where we got the book so we read it and like we talked about it in like a book club group and then um he came so we kind of knew a lot about him and in his book he gets so like um in like there's a lot about his personal life Mm -hmm. so that was really funny because now he's our professor and we know a lot about every like his personal life that was so funny I I loved it you know I I did wonder like as you were talking about like making content relatable and and um just sort of this this notion that Amelie brought up around Mm -hmm. um 
you know, kind of relying on what people have experienced and then the science. I wonder if you talked at all about like ways to bring those two together. So the idea of lived experience and even talking about like what is science and what makes up scientific knowledge and the fact that that's changing. Um, and sort of how to bring those two things together, sort of those personal stories where somebody maybe does talk about their experiences, maybe a, a cancer patient, and then of course the science behind it as well. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. So Dr. Adrian Owen talked about how some of the most like popular people on Twitter are the ones that kind of start off by saying a story about themselves or saying a story that they just learned from their friend or something, and then they back it up with research or some sort of like link to a paper. Mm-hmm. and those are the people that are very like popular and people trust them so I think the trusting thing is like really important when you give someone a personal story and a fact it's perfect um so we know like what makes a good tweet and we know how to be relatable but it's just hard to apply it to every single context Mm -hmm. um but yeah we learned about that so that's pretty that was awesome I loved it yeah that sounds really cool one thing that this also reminds me of is sometimes people will say like they don't know who's generating this research, mm-hmm, right? Like they mm-hmm. just think it, see it as like a faceless thing. And maybe it'd even be like, okay, the university, the institution, right? Yeah. Who is that? And so sometimes like I'll be talking to people and I'll be like, this is me, yeah. right? Like this is like, it's people like me who are generating this research. It's people we interview on GradCast. Like yes. it's our friends who do this work. It's just like getting people to know like, hey, yeah. we're like also like you. We're yeah. just researchers are people. Yeah, that's such a good point. I never even thought about it like that. <laughs> but that's true. It sometimes seems so foreign to think that, oh, some somebody I know actually conducted that experiment. Yeah. 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 And it's usually like a grad student yeah. is the one who's leading it too. Yeah. It's not even like the scary professor or the one. Like it's usually like a a grad student like similar in age to us who's doing this stuff. Yeah. Um I actually was very heavily involved in research before I went to a course use master's which was very ironic um but yeah I completely relate to that I feel like I was like 20 or like 20 years old and I'm like handling mice and I just cannot I never imagined that um but I tell any of my friends who are like in business and they just can't relate but they're Mm -hmm. like how are you doing that I thought that was something that like older people do like they are like 35 and then they're able to do an experiment I'm like no like (laughs) people so many young people do this it's Mm -hmm. just not known I want to go back to something you talked about, this this um, module that you're doing with a group uh, around the community prac a, a approach or the community practice. Yeah. So is that like a placement? And then how do each of you in the group contribute to that specific yeah. placement? Yeah, it is a placement. So uh, we just call it rotation, but it's basically a placement. Um, we're going to be getting, I think our first rotation or placement is going to be in the clinical realm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get some of the groups are going to be in a hospital. Some might be in a clinic. Like we won't know. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one would be community. And then the next one would be basic science. So like a lab or um, doing like a lit review or working with somebody that's a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um I'm really excited about all of this only because my group topic, my group is made up of great people, love them. Um, And my group topic is cardiovascular. So that works out really well. That was my top choice. Um, But I I don't know what the community group would be yet, Um, but we have to most likely help them in their initiative within London. Usually it comes down to um, how could they get more people involved in their initiative? How could they... Um, cater to more audiences so we would help them in that realm most likely so using a lot of those skills that you've been developing on social media knowledge dissemination knowledge translation kind of distilling down 
what is this this particular concept that we're talking about into plain language and then being able to really sounds like you're really taking what you've done in your coursework and translating into something very practical yes that's definitely what's happening i love it everything is connecting it's going to be a full circle moment i'm sure i'm at a rotation (laughs) a eureka moment perhaps yes (laughs) yes and then so is the rotation and the capstone project is that the same thing so yeah i'm pretty sure so we don't have all the details for everything Mm -hmm. but i think that from our rotation whatever we learn we're going to be incorporating that to our capstone project so this is an eight month project okay um so every few months we have like a milestone due so in we just got our groups today and in three and a half weeks our first milestone is going to be due so we have to find a wicked problem which is something that um i'll talk about in just a second but we come up with a wicked problem related to our topic and do a 20 page literature review on it Mm -hmm. and then every few months we're going to kind of figure out a solution for this like this problem um, also, to get into this program, we had to write like a essay on a wicked problem in today's society. And then we had to do an interview based off of that and then get in. So right. it was very like processed. So um, wicked problems is a big thing within this program. And it's just how complex of an issue something could be. So I talked about um, obesity. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I talked about BC. Other people have talked about the opioid crisis. Like, it's just something that there's so many variables involved and you never know, like, which one could have caused it exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would have to find a wicked problem related to cardiovascular research or something related to that right. or a disease. Yeah. And then it's called a wicked problem, just like kind yeah. of as like a joke. Or is it just a bad problem? <laughs> it's just like a it's, big problem. Yeah, it's a big okay. problem that's very complex. And if you search it up on Google, like there's so much more like... Um, research and so much more people talking about what wicked problems are. Like it's such a mm. big thing. It's something. So new. it's a term. So it's like, a term. I've never heard of it. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's a term. It's yeah. A new, yeah, it's interesting. A term. Okay, because I was just like, oh, a terrible problem. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> got it. Too. No, it's literally called wicked problem. Yeah, okay. I'm not coming up with this. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Okay, do you have, I know it hasn't started yet, and you're definitely going to have to confer with your group, but do you have any ideas of what you might want to do for that? Um, I am not completely sure, but on Thursday, so I want to be a cardiovascular perfusionist. I don't know if you know what that is. No, No, what is that? Can you tell us? Yeah, yeah. So in the OR, um, there's when there's like a heart transplant or an organ transplant, the heart needs to stop working, but the body still needs to be alive. So it's like the blood circulation still needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So the way they do that is that the blood is circulated through another machine and the person running the machine is a perfusionist. So I want to do that. So I want to be involved within the team um, and you could also surgically assist and they're the people that put um, others on life support. So that is their role. So I want to... So it's heavily related to circulation and heart, which is why I wanted to do cardiology Mm and learn more about that. Um, But on Thursday, I'm going to be shadowing at the university hospital. So I hope to ask some of the perfusionists about like wicked problems related Mm. to cardiology. Get the inside scoop. Yes. Excellent. I have to. Maybe like the problem of like finding organs. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my project. But like, I know that's something like one of my friends is donating her kidney right now to one of of her other friends needs a kidney and she's doing it. She's amazing. She's a hero. Yeah. But she can't donate it directly to him because Mm -hmm. they don't match up. And so 
so there's this whole chain that they're going mm. through where she'll donate it to another person wow. who then their kidney will go to him or to their family member so it's, it's like a of, domino yeah yeah wow. and so everyone who needs one you can all get it in yeah. a chain reaction oh my goodness but it has oh to happen gosh. in synchrony and if mm. one person backs out or the whole, they get yeah, it's done. the yeah. whole thing collapses that's so interesting oh my god i've only ever seen that on like tv shows yeah like <laughs> i didn't actually know that was a thing yeah, yeah. it is a thing and so it's wow. been like a long process like she decided to do this i think it was like six or seven months ago and it still hasn't happened like they have a link but they it takes oh time gosh. to like work out every little vertice that's wild oh my goodness i didn't even know yeah i didn't know this was in real life <laughs> it's i didn't either but it is wow it's oh my life. gosh I didn't, I didn't either that's, yeah. Or like the black market for yeah. organs. Oh my gosh, yeah. Or like the ethics of who gets it and who doesn't. Oh, that's a great. Yeah. One. I mean, that was a really big thing during COVID, not so much with organs, but with ventilators, right? Like yep. who gets it. We and actually who had doesn't. a case study related to this. I mean, like ethics of like we have a lot of stuff related to ethics, but one of them was like, oh, does somebody that is like 30 years old and like a chain smoker and not good eating habits mm. gets an organ versus like an 80 year old, but they're very healthy and right. very active. Mm. And like now, how would you equate it? Because usually you go based off of age. Right. But now when there's so many lifestyle factors incorporated, like what do you do? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of just like talking about it. We didn't come to a decision, but it was talking about that. So it's mm-hmm. very fascinating. Ethics is, I feel like, so cool. Yeah. And did you say uh, just a moment ago that you, you took a course on ethics? And what was that like? Like what kinds of things would come up in that course? I know you just gave yeah. us one example, but um, Yeah, all of our courses have like an ethics portion to it. So like my, my July course was just ended, which it was academic integrity and professionalism Mm -hmm. but we have like ethical case studies related to it and academic integrity goes with misconduct and Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff so like research misconduct was a big thing um but ethics we learn like how you should be a ethical scientist if we do want to go into research we want to even practice within healthcare like being ethical is so important so we learned um how to like figure out red flags early on so you don't make the same mistakes other people have. So that was our course. Um, Majority of this would be like in the science realm, like research realm. It was like if um, you have a like lab, once again, related to funding, and if your funding is going to, your industry academic partnership is going to affect your research, that is not ethical because you're not being transparent with the audience. Like there was a lot of things to figure out, like where red flags can come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have case studies related to that, which is pretty cool. Do you know, and this might be another hard question, but do you know how uh, often cases like this come up? And so like, for example, like fraud in research, like that's something that, or people have to retract a paper because there's something wrong. Like, is this a big problem? It is such a big problem. And if you go to Retraction Watch, which is like a website online, which shows every single retraction going on right now, it is such an issue because people would have like um, they like Photoshop, like a gel. Yeah, like yeah. they would Photoshop a gel and like a Western blot and every yeah. single thing going on. And people on this retraction watch are sh- showing like where they how they Photoshopped it, wow. how they changed the contrast of this thing to make it look like oh it's a different picture but it's not. Um, so retractions are so common, and I think it all comes down to like how. Scientists are really like known based off of their publications and how new and like novel their um, new paper is going to be about. So they really go out of their way sometimes to make it happen where they're going to go and come up with this new brand new like research. But 
there's nothing there. And they might make up this stuff just because they want to show off as like, oh, they're a great scientist. Coming up with new publications, a lot more publications, causes a lot of scientists to fabricate information and fabricate a lot of these like diagrams. And majority of studies have their issues within the diagrams. That's one thing. And um, plagiarism is a big thing as well. Yeah. Um, and what about like chat GPT? Has that been something you guys have talked about in oh your first question? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Actually, our first day, like our first like day of orientation was talking about AI and like how that mm. is going to be playing a role within our program. Yeah. Um, we have never been told to like not use AI. We just are told how we can use it to benefit our work. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can use ChatGPT definitely to come up with like ideas for some sort of assignment and a lot of things like that. I've always used it to like, I'm not the best at writing like essays and stuff. So when I write like a whole paragraph, I would put it in ChatGPT and ask like, oh, what is the main idea of this? And if ChatGPT is able to get the idea I want to relay, then I'm, I know I'm good. But if they're That's not, such a good idea. then I retry. It's using it as a tool. It's like, yes. it reminds me of like when the calculators first, I'm showing my age here, when yeah. the calculators first came out in schools, everybody was worried we'd all forget how to do math, but it's teaching you how to use the tools effectively this and appropriately and ethically. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then, so this is so I, I, Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and you've just show, demonstrated really nicely, like this is how I can use it, not only to better my own work, but to, to actually use the tool for good. Because I think we hear so much about the bad of ChatGPT. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I even remember teachers being like, "You won't always have a calculator." I in remember your that too. <laughs> yeah. So I was at the age where people were using calculators in school, but no cell phones had them really. Like I remember mm-hmm. my mom's flip phone and, yeah. and that kind yes. of thing. I'm definitely in the internet age of, of kids, but <laughs> but the end where where we didn't yeah. know how everyone would have a calculator in their pocket. Yeah. So now it's kind of it's not like um, we shouldn't use AI, but maybe the questions need to be changed to really like get you critically thinking rather than something that you could put in AI and just get your answer that's mm-hmm. how things need to be changed but also there's so many like now AI checkers and stuff they're not that good but there's still a lot of them out there mm-hmm. um, so we just learn how to use it to help our work rather than do all of our work for us yeah and it's kind of like an arms race you know like as the the ai gets better the checkers for plagiarism are going to also get Mm -hmm. better and so i think people are are very afraid that it's just going to take over thinking but Mm -hmm. i think there are going to be ways of detecting it and i think we're going to have to teach differently right like we're going to have to to adam's point think Mm -hmm. about how do we teach students how to use this effectively or how do we teach students when to use this tool and where to use it so i think as as educators and as scholars we're going to have to think about you know how do we how do we incorporate this tool yeah, yeah for sure yeah, like it, google oh, right yeah, like exactly. we would never say oh let's never use google yeah, let's yeah. only use books in yes. the library physical <laughs> yes. right it's it also came up in the sense that um we were all like oh are we going to lose our jobs like for ai like maybe we should go into a different like realm of like careers and stuff but it's kind of like if you know how to use ai you'll be fine but mm-hmm. if you really don't it could affect your future career mm-hmm. so yeah. that came up a lot and like how to use AI was a big thing, not just ChatGPT, because there's so much else out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you put in like a few words now, it can come up with a whole painting for you. And Mm. it's wild, like there's pictures that you can make for you. There's audios, like, I don't know if any of you heard, but like there's a new Drake song that AI made. Oh, I didn't hear about that. That's nuts. (laughs) There's one called uh, Your Own Voice where you can actually put your voice into a recording. And then if you're somebody who has an illness like ALS or multiple sclerosis where your voice eventually will, will, um, weaken, you can actually use this this app, your own voice, to generate speech using your own voice. That's amazing. Wow. 
That wow. is so cool. So yeah. Amelie could live forever. Yeah. <laughs> Gradcast could live forever. Yeah. We could just <laughs> generate hundreds of episodes. I'm oh. <laughs> just kidding. Imagine that. <laughs> oh yeah. Actually, well, this is the end of this episode. <laughs> so speaking I will, of. Yeah, speaking of. So I'll thank you very much, Anam, for coming on the show as a guest well, for the first time. thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So listeners out there, you'll be able to hear Anam's voice on more podcasts and know a little bit more about what she does. All right, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Amling Hutchinson. My co-host was Elizabeth Moeller, and we've been speaking with uh, GradCast's very own Anam Anjam. And this episode is going to be produced by me, Emily Hutchinson. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcast.sogs.ca. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. And you can also find all our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.